Hello, you're listening to a podcast from Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Radio Maria is a 24-7 Catholic radio station broadcasting online via our app, Radio Maria Play, and on DAB in an increasing number of areas. You can follow us on social media. And if you enjoy this program, please do click like and subscribe to us on your podcast provider. Radio Maria relies entirely upon listener donations. We have no other sources of funding, so please do consider supporting us with a monthly or one-off donation so that we can continue to keep providing great programming free at the point of access. To donate or find out more, visit us at radiomariaengland.uk. This is Radio Maria and we're live now with, as I was saying, with Father Ewan Marley, OP of the Dominicans here in Cambridge at the Priory of St. Michael Archangel Blackfriars. Good morning, Father Ewan. Good morning, Elizabeth. How are you? Mm-hmm. Thank you for joining us once again. Father yeah. Ewan has started this wonderful series on the Psalms and a couple of weeks ago he spoke about Psalm number one and today... We're moving on to Psalm number two. So thank you, Father Ewan. Yeah. Oh. And uh, over oh. to you. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I wasn't planning to go through the Psalms systematically, uh, but there's just a certain connection between some Psalms. And Psalm two actually is a strangely connected to Psalm one. I say strangely because they don't look very similar at all. So what I was saying last week, that's the name of the program, uh, Psalm one is about happiness, but also about the need to share with like-minded people because we are social beings, which is very relevant in the modern time, the age of Facebook, Twitter, internet, and all these connections. We we have to, particularly when you're young, consider what sort of people you associate with. Psalm 2, on the other hand, seems very different indeed. Yeah, strangely enough, there's an old, but not very reliable manuscript of the New Testament where Psalm 2 is called Psalm 1, and that's in the Acts of the Apostles where it's quoted. Most of the texts say Second Psalm, which is right, but we might ask ourselves something about Psalm 1, why it might be called the first Psalm, and one reason is possibly because Psalm 1 and 2 were treated as one Psalm. But they're very different, except at the beginning and the end, but I'll go into that later. So Psalm 2, we will call it Psalm 2, is a psalm about kings, kingdom. It's about royalty. And in one way of looking at the psalms, it's called a a royal psalm. And it's a psalm that's quite a key to Christianity. But before we do that, we should look at the psalm as it would appear before the coming of Christ. So I'll just read out the beginning of the psalm. Why do the nations conspire or rage? And the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, Let us burst, burst their bonds asunder and cast their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord has them in derision. Now stop there for a minute. Now, it's a very puzzling psalm because it may go back to the time of David, the psalm, the time of Solomon, when Judea 
Jerusalem was certainly the, sem- the center of a, an empire after Solomon that breaks up into smaller pieces, as we know. But it's not a vast empire. It was never so great that it was controlling the Middle East, let alone the world. So it's a strangely confident psalm. Why would the psalm be able to boldly say, why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? As if this was pointless against Israel. The kings of the earth set themselves. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord that is anointed. And if it's talking about the king of Israel, then it's rather extravagant claim indeed. And it would seem to go against reason. However, one thing you can see in the Middle East is that there's a tendency to exaggerate, especially about power. There are kings that are always claiming to be the greatest ever king. And there's part, that's partly it, but it's also a sense that Israel has a destiny. This psalm seems to be a very old psalm, but it speaks of a destiny. It's about God. It's not about Israel itself. It's not about earthly power. It's not claiming that Israel has great armies. It's not claiming that Israel is capable of fighting against the whole world. It's not deluded in that way. It's about faith. It's a faith in a a destiny which is yet to be fulfilled. And that's why it refers not to the power of Israel, but to God. He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord has them in derision. That's one of the cases where we find God laughing. And of course, the laughing is because God realizes how deluded we ourselves are about things like power and control and our lives and how we can make our lives into something when our lives are not in our power at all. We we can make good decisions and bad decisions, but we always depend on God's power. We always depend on providence. And we also, in providence, have to learn to look at some of the bad things in our life and consider whether they might not be so bad. Maybe the bad things are teaching us something. Maybe the bad things are an opportunity to become more fully human, to improve. And God also laughs because God sees the end of the story. It's like a lot of stories that uh, we know that they will end, at least there's a thriller with the bad guy losing. But uh, it means that the hero is often quite jokey about this because in a way the hero knows that he's a character in a book. God laughs because he knows that whatever the nations do, whatever they plot in vain, they will always fail. So that's part of the meaning of the psalm in itself. There are other meanings, though, meanings that come about in the time of Christ. So we could leave it there for a minute while we consider, and I'll just read those few lines again. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord is anointed saying, let us burst their bonds asunder and cast their cords from us. So, we think about that, and then the rather obvious meaning for us as Christians. Because, of course, the Lord we think of is Christ. And, or rather to be accurate, the Lord is God, the Father, and the anointed is Christ, who is also God. 
But that too is something that causes God to laugh because he knows a great plan, which is a plan that no one has imagined, no one has understood. This is the meaning of the psalm before, after the psalm's time, beyond its time, because psalms are still meaningful for us. We still speak of these psalms to each other. As a religious, I have to sing them every day. We sing them to each other. We try to understand them by, by sharing those psalms with each other every day. So we'll say something else then. I will go on a little with the rest of the psalm. I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, with trembling. Kiss his feet or you will be angry. You will perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Happy are all who take refuge in him. So, as I say, we can understand it as Christ, but it's always important to get the first meaning, the first meaning of the Bible. Okay? It's not just the case that it doesn't mean anything until Christ comes. It has to mean something in its time. And then it gets a greater meaning. It grows. And as it grows, it grows in Christ. And then Christ himself grows in our hearts as we understand more of that meaning. This is why I think Matthew uses the phrase fulfillment. This is to fulfill the scripture. It doesn't mean that the scripture didn't mean anything till Christ came. It means rather that it gets a fuller meaning. It fills itself up with meaning when Christ comes. And that's very much the case in the infant narrative of Christ where Matthew builds that story around some scripture. But today we're celebrating the ascension. Today we celebrate Christ's power, which is a greater meaning, a further meaning. Perfect timing, Elizabeth. Father Ewan, because I've okay. just found a, a mm -hmm. lovely rendition of Psalm 2, which is coming from Norwich Cathedral Choir. So oh, let's, okay. let's, let's have a listen.
This is Radio Maria. That was Psalm 2 and we are live with Father Ewan Marley who has been talking to us about this psalm. So thank you and back over to you, Father Ewan. Okay, thank you. Well, as I was saying, the psalms are not just things that find their meaning in Christ, not for us. They have a meaning in the original use. They're fulfilled as it's increasing. And that's important. It would be a bit crazy to think the Psalms were meaningless till Christ came. But Christ gives them more meaning. And I was saying to Elizabeth that one of the things, a big thing we do as monks is that we sing the Psalms every day. It's quite important. And you might ask why. For one thing, why sing things which are so old and ancient and also written before Christ came? Well, quite simply because in those Psalms, we find Christ. But more importantly, Christ reveals that he is found in the Psalms and the prophets. This is in the resurrection narratives. You find that particularly in Luke, that uh, there's a famous story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And on their way to Emmaus, they um, meet someone who turns out about to be the Christ. But they say, after he vanishes and they recognise him in the breaking of the bread, did not our hearts burn within us as he opened to us the scriptures? So Christ reveals to himself to, to the disciples in the scriptures, not just saying, I am here, that's all you need to know. And even when he appears to the apostles, the same thing happens. When he appears to the apostles, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And very importantly, among those scriptures are the Psalms. Those Psalms themselves speak of Christ. That's one big reason why I wanted to talk about the second Psalm. The second Psalm really finds its full meaning in Christ. And then the puzzle of the optimism of Israel, it's insane optimism, this small country, small group of tribal people surrounded by a vast, powerful world and great empires, saying that they are safe, not only safe, but in a way the kings of the earth feel that they are being controlled by us. The kings say, let us burst their bonds asunder and cast their cords from us, as if they were in captivity. That's relevant to the way we use the psalm, but it's also relevant to how people think about religion. They think of it as a sort of trap, you know, being tied up. It makes you do things, it stops you doing things, it makes demands on you. You have to get up in the morning, especially Sunday, and go to Mass. You have to say prayers. You have to try and be nice to people you don't like. You have to give some of your possessions. You have to care about the poor. That could all seem like it's a sort of lack of freedom, that it's restricting me. But it's not enough to say, well, you just have to cope with that, you just have to accept that. Rather, you should say that in doing these things, you become free. You open yourself to other people. You expand yourself. You become more of what you are. Now, therefore, O kings, the psalm says, Be wise, be warned, the rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, with trembling. Kiss his feet, or he will be angry, and you will perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Happy are all who take refuge in him. The anger of God is not 
what we mean by anger, for us, anger is an emotion. It's something when we can't control sometimes, it controls us. But God's anger is rather that he's speaking the truth and he will not refuse to speak the truth. But if we don't accept the truth, then that's like running into a brick wall. Or it's like running into the fire. That's one of the images. His wrath is quickly kindled. That's, the Greek, Hebrew word is quite literally, his anger will take fire. It's fire because we refuse to live the way human beings should live. The anger of God is simply saying there is a truth. If you don't accept it, then you will run into the fire. You will run into the desert. You will be lost. Or you will be broken. That's another image. The king shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Not because God is violent or angry, not because God wishes us harm, but because we break ourselves on the truth. That's like I say the image is running into a brick wall. Remember as a child falling over, banging my head in a fit of anger, I started punching the pavement. So I had a sore head and sore fists. So <laughs> that, to this day I tend to think that's what anger is like. It's punching hard things and hurting yourself and then blaming the hard things and trying to punch them again and causing yourself more pain. The brick wall. So, as I say, the fullness of the psalm is in Christ. But already we see that God has a plan for humanity. And God loves Israel. He called Abraham, he created Israel, it's his nation. He cares for that nation, but he gives that nation a greater destiny than some of the members of Israel are able to accept. They cannot accept what's been given to them. And they don't understand that the true king has come, who is not David. David is a symbol, the true king who is to come. And David's humanity, David's weaknesses as a human being, David's inability to control himself, might seem to make him a very bad symbol of Christ. But the one thing he always understands, the one thing that David understands better than anybody, is that no matter how badly he does, God will always care for him what it means to be anointed. David is anointed as king. Christ is anointed because he is, in his reality, the son of his father. And we are anointed in baptism and confirmation because that is God's commitment to us. We are always under that commitment. This, by the way, is why we say you cannot be baptized twice or confirmed twice. That would suggest that God commits himself to us, then changes his mind and has to be persuaded to commit himself again. God never changes his mind. As St. Paul puts it, the gifts of God are not the sort of thing that can be repented of. He means because God never changes his mind. Baptism is God's commitment to us. Confirmation is a further commitment. And that makes us anointed like David. That makes it meaningful. Which is why, as well as this psalm, quoted in the Acts, there's also another psalm, which is Psalm 16 in the Hebrew. Uh, if I can find it here. Um, I set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh 
also dwell secure. Do not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. To your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And that psalm is quoted along with Psalm 2 by St. Paul when he's speaking to members of the synagogue at Antioch in Pisidia. These two psalms come together. Specifically, he quotes the phrase, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. And he quotes this because these two psalms are about Christ for Paul. Paul also says that for David, after he served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep, was laid with his fathers, and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. So, clearly, the Christ is fulfilled, or is a fulfillment of the Psalms. It all makes sense in Christ. It all comes together in Christ. And it grows. And that still leaves a question, well, that's why you would read the Psalms, but why would you sing the Psalms every day of your life? Why would you pick up these Psalms? Well, it's because the meaning is always growing in our lives. We're always discovering more every day. And discovering more doesn't just mean that you learn a few extra things, like you learn words to learn the language. It's rather that we see how this works against the events of our life, against the things we do. We also see it against how our human heart is working. Because sometimes we feel, we feel great joy, great peace in these words. Sometimes these words seem very dead to us. Sometimes they don't seem to touch us at all. Sometimes it's very easy to pray. Sometimes it's quite hard. If it was easy all the time, then we would start to take it for granted. We would think, well, I can do this. When prayer becomes harder, it reminds us that prayer is difficult. And that prayer itself has its ups and downs, just as life has its ups and downs. And the Psalms themselves at times can seem very meaningful, very peaceful, very true. They could also seem very demanding. And sometimes it has to be said, very frightening. But they give us strength. They give us strength to carry on. And that's why there's never a day when it's not worthwhile to pray the Psalms, to sing them, to read them, to study them. That's why you can now follow the Psalms, should you choose, without having to be in a religious order by any means. And in fact, it's a weakness to think that Psalms are just for monks and sisters and priests. There's a great site, Universalis, which gives you the, the office of a church every day on the internet, and you can also pay for a nice little app which will give you it far ahead so you can check up what readings there will be for Mass, what readings will be for the Psalms and I would really recommend that and uh, U-N-I-V-E-R-S-A-L-I-S if you just put that into Google you'll find the site so we can say the Psalms together and saying the Psalms together means that we can uh, not just learn what the Psalms mean for ourselves, but we also can feel assured that all over the world, people are praying these same Psalms. Everywhere, from north to south, east to west, these Psalms are teaching people more about Christ. They're giving us 
that the ability to learn more about Christ. So it's not just the action of a solitary person, not just the act of someone who's studying or reading a book. It is actually friendship. We are brothers and sisters in this pursuit. And that should always be part of our liturgy. We should always think, not just me, it's praying. It's not just the people in this church is praying. It's not certainly not just the priest that's praying, or the sisters or the brothers. All of the world, we are praying together. Not at the same time, of course, because that's the nature of our planet, that we are in different time zones. But that too can be a powerful thing, because we can be assured that as one part of the world is going to sleep, another part of the world is waking up. So that 24 hours a day the Psalms are being said, they're being prayed, and God willing, we're learning from them. Okay. Thank you, Father Ewan. Let's listen to a bit more music. You've been talking about religious who live the Psalms, sing the Psalms every day. So we're going to listen to the Benedictine nuns of St. Cecilia's Abbey, who I believe are on the Isle of Wight.
This is Radio Maria. As I was saying with Father Ewan of the Dominicans here in Cambridge, we've got a few more minutes. Back over to you, Father Ewan. Okay, thank you. Well, as I was saying that the Psalms find their fuller meaning in Christ, but not in such a way as to suggest it didn't mean anything in the original context. But Psalm 2 is particularly interesting because it is quoted twice in the Acts of the Apostles. And it is interesting because the psalm that they use, Psalm 2, as I said, on the face of it seems rather absurdly arrogant. The original meaning, you know, claiming that the kings of the earth are foolish to rebel against Israel as if Israel controls them. And then Israel itself is not such a great power. Now, let's look at how it's used in the Acts of the Apostles. John and Peter have been rebuked several times by the authorities in the temple. At the beginning of the Acts, the apostles and the church assume that the temple is still their temple, they still worship there. Acts of the Apostles actually continues from the Gospel of Luke, which ends in the temple, and the Acts begins in the temple. In some ways, it's a story of how the temple starts being the focus. But in fact, it's interesting that when they preach the psalm, they preach it, um, or I say it, back in their own house, having been thrown out of the temple. And that itself is uh, a sign of what's going to happen, that there will come a point when they will have to worship outside. But the the psalm itself... um, to look up in my computer now because I lost it. The psalm itself seems to take on the arrogance of the original psalm. I say arrogance, of course, it's not really arrogance, it's humility to accept God's power, but it seems to be going against human reason because this is just a handful of people in Jerusalem. They say that Christ is risen, but they can't show there isn't Christ to everybody. They have to explain that you should know by faith that Christ would, would rise. This is what the scripture was telling us, this is what the Psalms tell us. So I'll just read out the passage in the Acts of the Apostles. They've been sent home. After threatening them again, they let them go. That's the temple authorities. Finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all of them praised God for what had happened. The man in whom the sign of healing had been performed was more than 40 years old. That's the crippled man who Peter gave his full mobility to back, back to. After they were released, they went to their friends, reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard it, they raised their voice together to God and said, Sovereign, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in, in, in them, to you is said by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant. And then they quote the psalm. And you notice, once again, they, they refer back to David. Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples imagine vain things? The kings of the earth took their stands and the rulers of God together against the Lord and against his Messiah, or anointed one. And there, they're praying the psalm together with their friends. But they also then go on to explain the psalm. And in their prayer they say, For in this city, in fact, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, Gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand 
and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look at their threats and grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness. Will you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed for the name of your holy servant, Jesus? When they prayed, the place in which they got together was shaken. They all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. So it's interesting that two things, one is they're no longer in the temple, but they're still praying. You don't need the temple to pray. And in fact, Paul says we are the temple, in a sense. But also, they're showing that the real meaning of this psalm doesn't mean Israel against the world. It means rather Israel, or those who think they're Israel, and the world against Christ. And this is where the holy arrogance comes in. You know, Christ will win. God will win. And that takes us all through history. The very early church grows at times very rapidly, but it also seems to have divisions from the very beginning. And in many places, it doesn't grow at all. It's not a massive flock. So just as the kings of the earth might have said to ancient Israel, you're a small kingdom. Are you seriously thinking that you're a threat to us? Do you seriously think that you control us? People say that to the church. Then at one time, the church can seem like a very small thing. It often seems like a minority, and even in places which are supposedly Catholic, the reality is that the, the believing, faithful Catholics are not many. And the governments themselves tend to follow earthly thoughts, earthly powers. So saying the psalm is saying, well, this is the reality. Not because we're going to win a battle against you. It's not about defeating the world. It's about saving the world. It's about transforming the world. It's about offering mercy. It's about showing that God's love will enable us to live in a kingdom that is to come. But we do need to be confident that God is powerful. We mustn't think of God as you know, poor old God doing his best. Or we certainly shouldn't think of him as big stupid in the sky who doesn't care about sin either. That's why the second psalm does talk of his anger. He is telling the truth. We have to live in accordance with that faith and that hope. That's why the word boldness comes up a lot in the New Testament. Speaking the words with all boldness. Faith means being bold. It means trusting the power of the sacraments. It means trusting in prayer. It also means being willing to take risks. But not without some prudence. We should say, is this what God wants rather than I will do this? That's why the, the missionary order, it's always important to only go where you're sent to be an apostle. Don't just decide that you're going somewhere. Discern, talk to others. And that's why the second psalm is so important. But you might also notice that the second psalm has something similar to the first psalm and why when Psalm 1 and 2, although they seem very different, can be put together. And that's in the very last words of that psalm. I'll just read Psalm 2 again, the last words. You will make known to me the path of life. Oh, that's Psalm 16, sorry. Uh, um, back to Psalm 1. Um, kiss, you, kiss his feet or be angry, you will perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Happy are all who take refuge in him. 
remember how Psalm 1, as I was saying, begins, Happy the man who walks not in the way of sinners. And also the Psalm 1 ends by saying, The sinner's way will perish. So those same two phrases come up in Psalm 2 at the end. So the way we follow. The most important thing is that the first Psalm begins with happiness. And the second Psalm ends with happiness. The same word. Happy the man who walks not in the way of sinners. But at the end, saying not just not avoiding sinners, but also being positive and saying, happy are all who take refuge in him. And that's the real connection. So in a little prayer then on this day of ascension, I will pray for all of us who are listening and all of us who will continue, I hope, to try and find meaning in the Psalms, to sing the Psalms, to listen to the great music of the Psalms. It's been so much great music composed for the Psalms. Pray for all of us that we remember it's always about happiness. It's what we seek. It's what we're offered. And the way that we live is a way to happiness. Even on the way, may God grant us to be happy. In a small way, a deep way. Happy are all who take refuge in him. God grant that happiness to the whole world. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Ewan. We very much look forward to being with you again next week in As okay. I Was Saying. Okay, then. Thank you. This was a Radio Maria podcast. If you enjoyed it, do please click like and subscribe on your podcast provider or leave us a review. Every bit of feedback helps increase our visibility and allows us to reach more people with the message of Christ's saving truth. And if you don't already, you can listen to Radio Maria live either online or on DAB in selected regions of the UK. We'd love for you to call in live and be part of the conversation. See our website, radiomariaengland.uk, for more details and a full schedule of programmes. And do please consider making a donation so that we can keep making more programmes like this. We are completely dependent upon the generosity of our listeners.